Hi, I'm Brian Kramer, author of Human to Human and host of Lead Tale TV. Are you a veteran of the war for MQLs? Struggle to get on the same side as your sales team? Wondering if there's any way marketing and sales can ever get along, let alone succeed together? Nicole Fusilier doesn't just think it's possible. She's turned sales and marketing alignment into her professional superpower. Stay tuned to this episode of Tomorrow's Best Practices today to learn how she does it and how you can get your teams aligned and crush your numbers together. Here's Nicole. Nicole, welcome. I'm so excited to talk with you. And we just learned off camera that we are literally sitting, what, 10, 15 minutes away from each other? Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of cool to to, uh, not only be physically not that far apart, but also just to talk with you because your background, as I was doing my homework on you, is, is incredible. And the things that you've done and the way that your path has found a way through um, in throughout Silicon Valley um, as, as companies have, have exchanged and traded and bought and purchased and created. And I mean, it's just like you've seen iterations of things as they've gone in your career, um, you know, exchanged hands and, and, and also you've changed, I'm sure, throughout your career. Um, you spent a good stretch of the time early on in your career at Cisco. I'm curious, how did Cisco shape your future career? I think Cisco, you know, it really helped me get a foundation. Like I was very young outside of college and coming in and trying to figure out who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think what was so great about Cisco was the foundation that it gave me and also the ability to understand the different organizations. And I think being part of Cisco is something that I'm always going to be grateful for because of that foundation, as well as the people there. Um, you are working with some people that have been doing it for a really long time. So if you're somebody brand new coming in, the people you get to work with there are teaching you things that you're not going to get anywhere else. So I, I, you know, I think the 13 years I spent at Cisco really has played a role in terms of wherever I go because it's kind of given me a foundation. And then as you go somewhere else, you still have to learn the culture and environment of that company, but you have something solid to back yourself up on. And I think that's what Cisco gave me. It was a framework that I could work from almost anywhere. You know, there's a part of Cisco where, um, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but it was kind of like uh, the Wild West show. Uh, there was no centralized marketing. Uh, it was very kind of, um, you know, if you want to do it, go for it. And then, uh, and then it started to become a little bit more centralized and, and then eventually very centralized. Tell me about that. How was that working in one versus the other as it graduated? It's interesting because when I started at Cisco, I started with the Cisco Networking Academy program, which was not part of marketing at the time. It was actually part of worldwide education um, and really, really loved being part of Cisco Foundation and Cisco's nonprofit arm. But then when the reorg happened, which is what you're talking about, it got moved into marketing. Uh, And so when that happened, it was kind of like, all right, what's my place? And that's when I moved over, I was actually pretty nervous because I think people know 
that Cisco is is a pretty tough place to be. And so really having to show what you can do there. I remember going and talking to my boss at the time and saying, look, I'm a little nervous coming into this reorg. They're just starting around putting together this centralized infrastructure. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, if that's going to be enough, or if that's going to show you that Cisco should keep me. And so I remember talking with them about what could I do more. And so I think going through those different experiences of going from a non-centralized organization to a centralized organization, it was a lot about learning how to adapt. It was a lot about being open to you know, trying something different. And that's where I shifted from being part of Cisco Networking Academy to get really heavily involved in marketing and being open to that. And I think you know, anybody who's going through a reorg, anybody who's going from a non-central to a centralized organization, you've got to be flexible and you've got to be open to, open to change. You know, you, you worked at this big global company and um, it's always astonishing to me how change can even happen when the ship is so huge. Yeah. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you even create change, even small change? I think um, for me, one of the things that I struggled a little bit at Cisco is the fact that you were really kind of focused on one specific area, right? So when I was in Network Academy, I was focusing on Network Academy. When I was in corporate marketing, I was focusing specifically on the Academy program, sorry, on the, the Cisco Advisory Board program, really focusing on our customers. And I said, so I think for Cisco, what was unique is that you had these silos and you had these real centers of excellence. So making change was actually pretty difficult. There had to be some higher thing that happened that cascaded down. But in a smaller company, you can go in and you can make change happen. And that was part of the reason why, you know, after 13 years I left because I wanted to see what it was like to work end to end versus being a real niche area. And so you get to see all those things at Cisco, but you don't necessarily get to be part of all of them. And that's what's, what's so great about being part of some of the smaller companies is that you have a chance to get in there and make an impact pretty quickly. So let's shift a little bit into the voice of the customer. Um, it, it's, it's, it's actually, it's my favorite topic because mm -hmm. it's such a, it, it's so much more human. And that's my, my, my topic is, is how, you know, how to be more human, how to bring out the human of a company, the humanness, if you will. Um, and uh, the voice of the customer is the strongest part of anything that we, we do are the strongest part of a company um, and should be, but it isn't. And maybe it still isn't today. Would you agree or disagree? And how did you bring that into the companies that you worked with? I think the voice of the customer is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. Um, I think the only thing it could be set, it could be also as, as equivalent is important is your team, your the, the employees themselves. Because if you treat the employees like customers, they'll treat the customers like customers. So I think there's a, a strong tie to how you treat people. For me at Cisco, I was lucky that when I came into corporate marketing, there was this role that was open in terms of you know looking across all of our customer insights programs. And, and then what I was talking about earlier, saying raising my hand and wanting to be part of something, that's what I raised my hand to do. So I was able to go in and meet with all of these teams across Cisco who were individually doing these voice of the customer programs, but they weren't getting that information boiled up to the executive team. And so what I did was find a way where all of these programs across Cisco, 
I became more of the central hub around all of it, help them with their strategy, help them with their operations, help them with their communications. And so every quarter I had to send a newsletter or a review up to John Chambers and his executive team really talking about what we learned at these programs. I also spent a lot of time with the content owners for each of the advisory boards. There was an enterprise advisory board. There was a global customer advisory board. There were channel advisory boards. There was executive exchange programs. Each one of them, the content there was really talking about the customer and what those customers wanted. And the customers were involved in creating the content that was there. But out of each advisory board program became action items. So how do the action items that come out of them, these are wishes and insights from our customers, how did those turn into things that our executive team had to respond to? And how they responded to them made an impact in the meetings that we had with them literally every quarter following up with these customers. Keep in mind these advisory board programs, these made up 80% of Cisco's revenue. So the people sitting in the room were Cisco's highest revenue generating customers and partners. And we had to build a relationship with them that showed that they could trust us just like we could trust them. And so on the partner side, it was like, how do we enable you to be more successful? What does Cisco need to do to help you so that way you can sell more Cisco? What, what are we doing? What are we missing? When it comes to the technical side, what was, not, what was missing from our products? What was missing from our, from our engineering that we could do better? It was these insights that helped Cisco frame where they grew. But we had a responsibility to report back to these customers what we were doing, why they would see roadmaps ahead of time. They were like they were hand in hand with us as we were building it. But I remember one of the things that I loved was the fact that you know John Chambers himself was really proud of this community. We actually you know won one of the Cisco Teamwork Awards, which because this was something that was across the entire company. This wasn't just you know one program, one organization. This was a global community that we were part of and we were a very proud team. It was probably one of my most favorite times. At I, feel, I feel like you turned your your customers into influencers uh, by doing that. You not you turned a community into an influencer community early on before you know influencers were a thing or the thing that they are today. Uh, yeah, honestly, they would host sessions. They would host meetings. They would create their own groups. It's actually part of the reasons why I got interested in Jive was the first version of Jive. We were actually creating an online community. You know, later in my career, I went to go work for Jive because I loved it so much. But what, what, what did we do is we used Jive to create a community so our customers, our integrated customers who are part of this advisory board, they could talk with us confidentially and give us insights and we could leverage that community. They became insights for us. Not only that, it became personal. I'm still friends with some of those people that were part of that advisory board community. I think this is one of my favorite stories, which I hopefully you'll laugh, is we had a group that came over from overseas and they had never seen an In-N-Out. This is when In-N-Out had just, so imagine coming to California and there's this huge rage around In-N-Out. And these are like, again, our highest revenue generating customers and partners, these CIOs, executives, and they had never seen an In-N-Out. So, and I'm running these programs. You're talking about the, the burger. You're talking about the burger, right? Exactly, the hamburger. Okay. And they come to me, and we're coming home on our, and we have this like nice executive bus. We're bringing everybody back. Like these are like again, CIOs, CEOs, executives, and they're like, Nicole, is there any way we could stop off at In and Out Burger? And I'm like, okay. And so I remember going to our logistics person, and they're like, no, we can't do it. There's no way to do it. I'm like, hold up, we're gonna do this. So I literally took everybody's order. I called ahead of time. 
I had the bus stop off, you know, you know, outside. I ran in, got all the orders, handed it out. And I remember later on that night calling my boss, because keep in mind, I'm just a senior manager at this time. I called my boss and I said, okay, if you see an expense for $800 from In-N-Out Burger, it's not me picking out. It's about me taking care of these customers. And it was great. And I'll be honest with you, that's the number one thing that they brought up every single time we got back together was I remember Cisco taking us to In-N-Out Burger. And it's so silly, but it's that type of relationship that you build with your customers that they get to know you and it's, and it's fun and they still bring it up. See, I love that. That's it's the personal experiences um, that connect us all. Um, as a side note, I think it's funny when people are waiting in line at in and out and uh, they finally get to the front and they haven't decided what they want. And I'm like, there's only three things to pick from. How do you not know what you want? Um, it's just kind of funny. So, um, you know, what, one of the things that you described is, um, is how you got, you, you kind of shift you, I saw all these different shifts of like, okay, well, let's build a community. Let's use Jive. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And in all of that, you needed to, uh, operationalize each of those things. And so not only were you a marketer, not only were you a community builder, you were also an operations person. And so you're kind of like moving between marketing and operations and community. And so how do you do that? How do you, how do you operationalize something in a company that hasn't done it before? Well, and that was, you know, that was one of the challenges because at Cisco there, there wasn't a process around that and everybody was, you know, scattered around the company doing these things. So I was tasked with how do you operationalize that? And for me, luckily, that's something that just kind of came naturally. And I hadn't actually used that in my background before. So it was really interesting at Cisco to really kind of spend some time. Fortunately, James Richardson, who was the CMO at the time said, what do you need? How do we build this out? So I remember I remember centralizing you know, on a Jive community for the entire you know, advisory board teams. I remember working with George P. Johnson and setting up how we would do the events logistics and having that standardized. I remember setting up quarterly meetings with just the content owners for the different groups and talking about how we could standardizing things. And I will tell you in the first year of us coming together and operationalizing this, we saved Cisco $1.3 million just by putting this together. And the next year we ended up saving $1.8 million in terms of how do we operationalize this for Cisco? Because before they were all off doing it on their own. So when we all came together and were able to show how we could operationalize this more efficiently, and that's actually what ultimately got this raised up to chambers and the, and the executive team and why obviously we got the awards, but it was it, the, really the teams all coming together saying, hey, this is a better way of doing it. And I think it also goes back to what I was saying earlier around Yes, this was better for our customers, but it was also better for internally. My job was to make sure all of those groups ha had their own boards, want to work with me, want to be part of this infrastructure. So I think what helps me be successful is treating everybody like they're a customer, making them all, like, making them all feel like they're part of something. Because I think if you are forced to do it, nobody wants to do it. But if you make them show the value of why it's, we're going to help each other, then they want to be part of it. Well, um, you, you're so speaking to my heart right now. I, I could listen to this all day about um, how everybody matters. Um, in your current role now, you're doing some really interesting things. I was looking at how uh, even now 
how relevant what you're doing. And I hope you get a chance, you would take, take a moment just to even describe it because you're combining sales and marketing into one machine called revenue um, and how you see that working and how you built a position around that. Um, also in what you can do now for even schools at this time and in and, and, and helping people to potentially go back to school. Yeah, so at Matterport, I was lucky. I was given an opportunity um, to relook at how marketing was organized. When I got there, I was actually hired to be the chief of staff for the, the CMO. Uh, within the first month, he is actually no longer there. So then I got placed in charge of marketing for a good six or seven months. While I was there, I got to work really closely with the chief revenue officer and I reported to him directly. And I personally feel if you're tied to revenue, reporting directly to the CRO and making sure that your goals and stuff are tied in the line are really important. Because if we're both tied to the same goals, then we can really make change and make an impact. So while I was there, we had to relook at our organizational structure. We had to look at our um, agencies. We had to look at, so we look at our team. And what we did is we relooked at our targets and we looked at how we were setting them up. And so partnering with Jay, who was a CRO, we made this huge shift of, if we're going to hit our numbers, looking at MQLs isn't, wasn't going to get us there. If we actually all agreed to focus on conversion and focus on opportunity, then that was actually going to help us get our numbers. And so we went from creating tons of MQLs that had a really poor conversion rate of like 6% to now everything focusing on SQLs where our SQL conversion to one went over 50%. So all of a sudden we made this huge shift in terms of what we were all focusing on. So if my job is to help sales win, then everything I'm doing is focusing on what's helping sales win. And I think that also then changes the relationship. It goes back to earlier around even the customer programs. What was I trying to do? Make the customers feel like I'm there for them. What are you doing with the advisory board content owners? Making them feel like this community could work for them. What am I trying to do with sales? I'm trying to make them feel like marketing is their partner to help them win. So the only way to help them win is to not be saying, why aren't you following up on my leads? The way that will help them win is say, hey, these things are the ones I think are going to best convert and I'm helping you close your deals. And I think that's how you start changing behaviors is you figure out what they need and how do you help them be more sex successful? You know, I, I, this is one, this is still an issue. It's, I would say more than way more than 50% company of the companies out there. Um, and MQL and SQL is still an oh, issue. Gosh on, on at, at maybe 50% is like, is low. Um, Probably like 60 or 70%. Yeah. You're still focusing on MQLs versus really focusing on marketing and sales together. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would venture to say that the, the challenge is getting marketing and sales to work together. Uh, I think you're alluding to that. You're, you're, and, and how do you get them to actually work together? so that they're think, not pointing yeah. fingers and they're creating that and then looking at sql but not pointing it at just sales and saying well you're not doing your job i think a lot of it comes down to marketing also having a revenue number marketing also being responsible for helping and closing deals i also think in terms of marketing there's typically two different types of marketing people um, i actually have a digital twin is what i call her she's my partner in crime she focuses on the content the awareness, you know, PR, comms, I call that her superpower. She's amazing at that. What I'm good at and what I call my superpower is driving revenue, driving operations, driving alignment with sales. And so I think when you, when you go into this, it's like thinking about how do you align your teams 
so that they can be really supportive of what you're trying to achieve. And so for me, my team is really heavily focused on how to help sales be successful. And I think by marketing owning a revenue number, even though there's a lot of comments right now around all marketing is about revenue and even brand marketing is about revenue, I go back and forth on that. I think that could be a whole discussion as itself. In my mind, your brand doesn't bring revenue until you're a brand like Adobe and Cisco. But as you're really small and nobody knows you, you're investing brand. It's not as big at that point right now. You've got to be investing in revenue and you've got to be investing in making deals. So you're always on this kind of path. But right now, I think, you know, for some companies, you really got to identify what's going to help the company grow. And it's focusing on what your growth goals are. And I think for us, if marketing is aligned with the same growth goals that sales has in the broader business, then that's really focusing on bringing those teams together. And I think for a while, having me report to the CRO probably helped solidify that, too, because I think the relationship that I have with him, there's a level of trust. And I think there's important to have that level of trust. Um, but I also think that there's some fundamentally that some marketing people just feel like no marketing and sales should be like this. I just don't fundamentally believe that makes sense. And that's kind of a reason like with my career, I shifted over time. I'll be honest, there was a few companies where I saw that huge divide and it made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable to go in there and say to sales, why aren't you following up on my leads? That I didn't enjoy that. Who, who enjoys poking at somebody? Nobody does. What I enjoy is saying, hey, what's not working? Okay, let's tweak that. Is that better? How does that work for you? Like, and I think that's a better conversation to have with somebody than saying, why aren't you doing X? And I think that's how you start moving the conversation is being a better partner. So what you're talking about is a behavior change. And I'm curious too, how do you catch the behavior change? How do you, how do you train on behavior change? Um, because that's, that's in the moment. That's, um, that's, that's micro. Yeah. I think I try to show by doing right. So I have, and I really try with my team really to show them that if I'm willing to dive in and do it, then we need to do it. I'll be honest right now, even at Matterport, our sales and marketing organization for operations, we have a meeting twice a week, which is our teams together, not focusing on who owns what, like what are the problems that we're having and who can help each other. And there'll be times when my team will come to me and say, why am I doing this? Sales ops should be doing this. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe somewhere else, but here at Matterport, we're one company, we gotta do it. And, I, you know, and it goes into silly things. And I think, you know, right now, and I, I, what's nice is like even David Shields and some of the other folks that I'm working with in sales ops, he'll say the same thing. Hey, yeah, typically we do this, but you know, we'll have let Nicole do it because she can and she has the bandwidth. So it's just having that relationship. But I think a lot of it changing that culture and changing those tones come with you doing it yourself. And then as my team, you know, internally coming to me, pushing back on it, I have to reinforce with them why it's so important. But you're right. I do get times from time to time for my team saying, well, why am I doing that? So typically sales would do that. And I'll say, yeah, but typically sales wouldn't have to do this, this, and this, but they're doing that for us. So what's the point? What's the point? There's, there's no winning there. So let's just focus on how we can help help each other. I love that. I love it. And I love, love leaving, leading by example. I mean, that's, that's one of the best ways and, and, and it's so powerful when somebody actually not just says that, but does it. Um, what, what was something unexpected when you walked in and you, you didn't realize, or you hadn't seen it before and you had to, you had to pivot or you had to shift in a certain way to deal with something that, um, that you, you weren't expecting and it was early on in the process or at some point that you had to work through something. 
uh, that, that surprised you? I think, you know, for me, obviously having the CMO leave and being in charge of all of marketing, um, that was a huge shift. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting that to happen. I was expecting to be the chief of staff and get his operations and his demand and his growth piece all picked up. So at that point, to me, I had to kind of shift in terms of being just really focused on that, but then really seeing that broader picture for the whole organization. Um, and like I said earlier, fortunately, I had my, my my digital twin on that content side. So even though she reported to me, she was at someone that I trusted and she actually worked for me at Adobe. So I already had that relationship with her and knew that she could really own that area. But I also think it also became a time where I really had to trust and rely on the bench strength of all the other people around too, and really help them find what they could do and what they could deliver. And I think for me, being 30 days in, that was a that was not something that I was, you know, very comfortable with at, at first, but I had to just kind of overcome it and work through it. And, you know, I also had an, I had an opportunity to really dive into the budgets and stuff too. When I, when I got there, they were actually overspent by $3 million in their marketing spend. So I had to relook at all of our targeting. I had to relook at all of our spend and just really kind of look at all of the challenges that we're having and just kind of rebuild the organization. Uh, and fortunately, like, I'm really proud of the fact that the team really all came together. And like I said, a quarter later, we're on budget and we're hitting our numbers. And that was a huge going from one end directly to the other end. Yep, that's that's a good answer. <laughs> that would do it. I, I'd say walking in and th even 30 days later, having to uh, take over marketing. That's well, and, and, and this is actually a little bit personal, but I don't mind sharing it. Uh, my mother had ALS. And during those 30 days, um, two weeks later, my mom dies. So oh. on top of all of this happening, uh, I actually lost my mom during that time. Oh my God. And I was really wanting to make sure that my team, who was totally shocked and taken off guard. So a lot of it was learning how to just be really focused at work and really stay you know positive there and really help the team all be together but inside it was very hard so i think it was it was an extraordinary challenging time but it also makes me so proud I mean, like i'm not only am i proud of what we did at matterport but i'm also personally and emotionally proud of the people that i got to work with because they're the ones that kept me going during this hard time well my heart just um I feel I I feel for you to have to do that in a new role uh, because you don't have uh, it's new relationships and the fact that a, a new group did that for you um, that's that's cool that's really cool um, well and also you know, this I, I this is also what I'll always say to Jay like when that happened he, he's like it's okay you're okay and that, you know, having your CRO, you know, report to you, it gave me a hug. And I'm like, yep, I can do this. And I said, so I think it's, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's the human moments around all of it. And it's, it's what builds that trust. And so now as you're building moving forward, it's the people that you're working with yeah. and how you take that moving forward. And for me, um, you're living it every day. Yeah. I don't think that would make me want to work for the company forever if, if, uh, if somebody ever did that for me. Um, I don't know about you, but wow, that that's a really powerful uh, thing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. how, uh, just kind of getting back into the the more um, you know business stuff. Had, I'm I am I do want to kind of put a period on on all of the stuff that we were talking about, and uh, just ask you how you measure how you actually measure the the outcomes of what you do um, when you um, when you look at an organization, you look at the the body of work. 
that you yep. work on. Um, how do you communicate what you do to the rest of the organization? Yeah. So every other week I meet with the executive leadership team and talk about how marketing is performing. Um, marketing is given a target every quarter. Typically right now it's 85% of the sales target is attributed to marketing. So every other week I'm going in and I'm talking through where marketing is in terms of our attribution. One of the things I had to do at Matterport was um, rebuild all the attributions because when I got there, there was three, kind of laugh when I say this, there was 300 different ways to attribute things. Um, and now we're down to eight ways of attributing things. There was over 6,000 landing pages that could be done by anybody. Now they were just down to 50. So we were on Pardot, we were on a very messy, you know, you know integrated, very um, customized platform. So in March, we launched Marketo and rebuilt it from scratch. So part of what I try to do is really build the infrastructure so that way when I go into these meetings every week, I can show the marketing attribution. I can show how we're supporting sales. And then from an awareness perspective, what are we doing in reach? What are we doing with impressions? What are we doing with conversions? What are we doing with SaaS and SaaS conversions, as well as paid and not paid from the SaaS? So it's like being able to really kind of show the impact that you're having. And I think that's where the marketing team prior to me being in there, because their systems weren't set up in a way to be actually able to tell you the information, that becomes a handicap because I'm sure the marketing organization before was doing a lot of really great things, but they didn't have a way to be able to show it because of how they were implementing it. And so what I've tried to do with the marketing side of, of the operations team is really being able to show how you can put the attributions in place to set marketing up to be able to demonstrate where they're influencing. Another piece, which is a little bit more difficult, is on the ABM side or on the enterprise side, where to me, it's less about this whole MQL, SQL conversation. It's more around contacts. It's more around influence. It's more around helping sales have the right conversation with that key contact and how do you get in front of them. And so right now, I'm spending a lot of time trying to help influence the executive team, understanding what that means. Because as we're growing in this enterprise space, how you track enterprise is different than how you would track SMB and mid-market, but not everybody knows that. And then on top of that, we also have a commerce component and we're really growing in commerce. Uh, and one of the things that we had to do was, was launch a new website and really talk about how do we bring all of that over as well and how the data comes in. So part of it is every week really kind of showing our performance. Um, and I look at that more in terms of like, when I talk about performance, I talk about performance marketing. That's really like all the channels is how I look at it and how are all the channels performing and how are you optimizing those channels of paid media, um, SEO, your web, your demand, like just really looking at all those areas. So that's what we're going in every other week and really showing the performance around that. But a lot of it comes to attribution and really showing how marketing is supporting sales and what that attribution is. I will say 85% of the overall target for marketing, I would say from an industry standard, that's pretty high, but we're doing it. And I'm very, I'm really proud of the team for doing it. Wow. I'm, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change your uh, title. I don't know if I told you uh -oh. this, but I'm going to change it to market marketing sorceress. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope your, your job uh, don't, I hope they don't mind, but I'm going to change it. So um, there, there you go. I dubbed you market marketing sorceress because you are yes. doing 
amazing things. This is like the Mecca mountaintop of, and, and it's never done. Like you're, you know, it's, there's always work to do. There's always more attribution. There's always something more to add and create and create more of a central source of, you know, truth and, and voice of customer and work to do. But the fact that you're putting it in place so that you can see these things and you can uncover more and more and more makes your job so much easier so that you can go do that. Because if it's not there, then it's like you're just throwing mud at the wall and, and you don't have anything to look at. And it's, exactly. it's just like, and I, nowadays, it's like, why wouldn't you do all this? But it, you know, so the fact that you got all of this stuff done in the amount of time that you did and put it in place, you're now a marketing sorceress. So there you go. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> it also helps you be able to learn because I think we're all still learning. There's a lot of things still to learn out there. And that's the fun part. So if you have a framework, it gives you opportunity to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope everybody can, as, a, as they're listening to all this, they just learned about you know, everything they need to be doing. And, and I'm, I'm pretty darn sure most of, the, most of the planet isn't doing a lot of these things and they need to be. Um, I, the last thing I want to do is more on the fun side. And that's talk about okay. your, um, your sports and your life because you, there's, a, there's a whole other side to you. And so I'm just going to pick up on the sports side because I think it was at age 11, um, if I'm not mistaken, you were huge into sports and, and, and you, you played soccer internationally. Um, and mm -hmm. so you played growing up. How did sports inform the way that you uh, let, lead and work with teams today? I, I actually blame my brother for this because I think I wanted to be just like my brother. Uh, and so any sport that he was in, I wanted to do it too. So I played boys baseball. I played, you know, on, on a lot of the different boys teams just because, you know, I just wanted to be like my brother. Soccer was something for me that uh, that I got into and that I really loved really early. My next door neighbor actually uh, was a coach over at Stanford. Uh, so I got to you know, see part of that very young. Uh, yes, when I was 12, I went and played um, with a with a bunch of girls that went internationally all over all over Europe and got to play. Uh, so that was an amazing experience. I will tell you, it was a little bit. It was a really interesting experience being 12 years old, being away from home for an entire month. I got lost in Harrods. I got lost in a couple of places, but it was it was a wonderful experience. I also had the opportunity for a week to stay at a home in Copenhagen with a family. And so staying in a real authentic, you know, Danish home was a pretty amazing experience. Um, but sports to me, what I think it's really helped me with is in terms of really learning how to work with people. Like you can't win a game by yourself, you know, like soccer is a game where you have other players all around you that you have to play with and to be part of um, to win that game. And I think that's what's been really um, critical to how I've lived my life is, is working with others. And I think sports plays a huge role with that. I think in high school is also really fun because, you know, I played on the varsity badminton team because I had a crush on a boy. Of course, I go and play on the badminton team. You know, I was on the varsity badminton team, played on the basketball team, tried out for the boys baseball team, you know, and made that, uh, played on the tennis team and on the soccer team. So sports was always, sports has always been my grounding force growing up. Uh, and it really helped me. And I just was, you know, I've just kind of leveraged that growing up. I still like to coach as much as I can today, too. I actually try to coach my son's soccer here in Hamilton Valley. So okay. if you, uh, I might see you out on the soccer field around here once we get the, uh, once we get the pandemic in a different place, we can be outside. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, for sure. And um, from one tennis player to another. I totally, I totally, I totally oh there we go we go play tennis yeah, that'd be great yeah totally 
Well, thank you so, so much for being on uh, Lead Tail TV and uh, for sharing Thanks everything for here today. I think I found it fascinating. I think everybody else is going to as well. And I, I look forward to sharing this out with everybody out, out there and, and making sure that we can uh, get, get all of this great stuff out into everybody's hands. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate thank it. God. See you. Hi, everybody. Spencer here on the Lead Tail team. We want to thank our guest, Nicole Fasulier, for being our guest on the show today. If you'd like to continue the conversation, tweet us on Twitter at Leetail. Uh, our guest this week actually does not have a Twitter account, uh, but you can find her on LinkedIn in slash Fasulier. Thanks so much. If you want to see the full video interview series, you can find this episode and more at LeeTailTV.com. Please make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Have ideas for the show? Do you know someone who would be great to be a guest? Drop us a line at studios at Thanks.